Good morning and good afternoon for my guest. This is Dr. Matthew Dunn, host of the Future of Email. And my guest today, Sean Duffy, my, my friend and colleague and fellow soldier in the trench wars of real-time content. Sean, you're the founder of Reignite and also an email consultant, correct? Yeah, yeah. So the Reignite came out of the consultancy, really, is yeah. the need to be able to get stuff into an email without yeah. having to work with every single ESP's different APIs or limitations. So um, that, that's how we've come about really. So, so for the 90, probably 98% of guests who go real time, what the heck are they talking about? We'll do a brief orientation here. What Sean's company and my company campaign genius both do in varying ways is, is try to make the content that shows up in your inbox, get there more easily, more recently in a more timely fashion, or even God forbid to have it reflect conditions that have changed since the thing was sent. Fundamentally, the, the fetch of image content from email is kind of the, the backbone of this, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and we talk about it as being the real time email industry, but I think we've talked about this before. The yeah. That's a bad batch for what we do because the real-time element is a teeny, teeny part of what we do. There's so many other reasons why. And I think that, that causes us headaches <laughs> when people start talking about MPP and all these other things that mean that we're going to be massively impacted. Yes. Because as an industry, we haven't been able to probably market ourselves properly because we've been badged with that, that real-time terminology. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is going to be the inside baseball episode of future of email, but darn it, it's important. Now, let me, let me frame this again. For those of you listening or going, what the heck are they talking about? Sean's, Sean's based in the UK, Leicester, I believe, correct? Yep. Yep. And I'm, I'm way across the pond and across the country in the Pacific Northwest of the U.S. Campaign genius, customer base, mostly U.S. You, you could nominally say, well, and Matthew were competitors, but A, that's not how email works. B, it, the real-time piece of it is such a relatively small industry that I think it's much more important for all of us to get better at our game and build awareness of it than, than to worry about whether or not we're going to run into each other in the market because we never have. No, no. And we're, we're primarily UK-based. You're primarily US-based. So I'm sure we both take revenue where it comes from. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, na nature nature of a, of a startup for sure. Do a do a bit of history because we've never talked about this. You said it came. You said Rignite came out of the consultancy, but how long ago? And do you remember the glimmer of? Wait a minute. I think we can do this. That got um, going. Yeah, blimey. So my my background is is twenty years this year. I've been in the email marketing industry, which yeah, yeah. well, is that congratulations? I'm not sure sometimes, but and. And I sort of start, started off at a, a small UK ESP where we, we were, there was four of us at the time and we launched an ESP and got quite successful. I was there for sort of 10 years, went client side, got really frustrated having been in an ESP and effectively we could do anything we needed to do from a client. We, if we did, couldn't do it, we'd go build it. So then, okay, I needed to do all these things, mainly around personalization for a, you know, for a footwear retailer and a lot of data analysis or, and, and transformation of things. And there just wasn't the solutions out there and we didn't want to go work with a big enterprise kind of customer. So that's where sort of Segmentum is the name of the consultancy, where that sort of sprang from, which was 
all around how can we bridge that gap between you've got an ESP, which maybe have lots of bells and whistles, and you have sort of strategies and plans, but how do you sort of bridge any gaps there are really, and, and get very sort of hands-on. And so a lot of what we did on that side was around taking customers' data, transforming it to something useful for them to do segmentation and lots of sort of personalization around building bespoke recommendation models and things. And then we come to, okay, let's send that email. And how on earth do we get, you know, all this individualized content for each individual recipient yeah. into MailChimp, into bigger ESPs? Yeah. And how do we do that in a, a manner which we don't have to reinvent the wheel each time? And clearly we you know, we've been around the, the, the email space for quite a while. So we, we were able to see what other people were doing. And, you know, so it wasn't our idea in the first place. So we sort of stumbled upon, well, this is what the likes of say MoveMalink are doing, which of course are, were the very first in our industry to really do this. And our, our initial kind of play was we actually run being real, we used to pre-generate all the images that we ever needed. So we would take a, take a product catalog yeah. of 40, 50,000 products and create all the different images that we'd need for them. But that, that was our first, first stab in the dark. But then of course you evolve over time. And probably a, a few years into the sort of the, the business, we, we, we'd got it to the point where we could, we could serve it live and it's much more Absolutely. flexible and things. And, and as technology over time has been become more accessible, I think it's fair to say it's the re the reason why you and I are able to operate in the market nowadays is because the likes of Amazon web services, Google cloud, they make it so much easier for startups to come in, come into the market. So we're able to do that. And, then, and that was primarily really to serve personalized product content into emails. But then of course you see, okay, well, if we can do this, then we can also do some of the other real-time things, whether it be store locators, might be weather forecasts, it might be making decisions based on where they are right now, personalized images, all, all of those things we sort of started, started to sort of play with, but very much we are, our part, our, our sort of, I guess, motivation is all around individualized content for recipients. Yeah. The real, the real classic real time stuff is very much kind of secondary and it's because, well, we could do, so let's, let's also do that at the same time. It's not our, it's not our passion project. I would say some of those things. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd say one, one way, one way I've explained it to people is like, okay, there's a, there's a box in your email, maybe rectangle shaped, it may be square, but there's a, there, there's a box that's, that, that's going to get filled in with, with a graphic. We can fill it in at the last minute with darn near anything and it tends to be the biggest design element single design element in the email and the fact that so frequently it's filled with off the shelf last minute stock photo pick is such a wasted opportunity in terms of communication and brand and motivation and moving people to you know act and all the other things you're trying to do with marketing content like Arr! why why is why is email so visually damn boring can we change this please <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's when you start telling people that they can, they can use their own fonts yeah, it, or, or add stylings that they could do. The, the, the visual element is really important. I yes. think that's that's what real-time doesn't necessarily describe so much. Yeah, yeah, uh, agreed, agreed. And Sean's also, you know, you're also alluding to something both, both of us have had to grapple with in the last, gosh, it's coming up on a year, you know, Apple, Apple um, announced that in June a year ago, 2021, that they would start handling images in email differently. They would prefetch and not reload those. And 
that's had an effect on many other aspects of email marketing, but for sure for the niche of real-time content, I, I think, see if, see if this resonates with you. I, I when, when people uh, who I know are really good in this space go, oh, well, well I guess real-time content is dead. I mm. want to smack them upside the head. Yeah. I mean, we, we're both members of Only Influencers. We, we joined the Thursday calls and there's been a few of those times where I, I've kind of, there's, there's a few of us in the real-time space on those calls and I, we can kind of look at each other and sort of, you know, roll, roll the eyes and things. It's, 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 it's a, it's very, it's coming from a good place. I think yeah. that, that sort of comment, but it, it's perhaps not so educated. Yeah. And I mean, there's a, there's a few things about that. Well, first of all, as we've talked about real time, isn't the main thing no. um, anymore. It really isn't, but it's the badge we've given ourselves. The other thing is the way Apple does the prefetching. Well, we shouldn't really call it prefetching either. It does some fetching. That could be before yeah. they open the email, but most likely it's afterwards. And again, our friends at Movable Acreage got by far more data than you and I can sort of throw together. Yeah. They also came out with the, the research piece that showed that virtually all of the click-throughs that they track at the same time occurred very shortly after the open, which suggests that you know, the opens that Apple's pre-fetching are late in the day it tends to be sort of nine o'clock eight o'clock p.m onwards you have you get this secondary spike yep and they're people which aren't going to open the email anyway so yeah. this is probably i don't know a sort of finger in the air of about 85 percent accuracy if you could create an algorithm to sort of work out well, what's a real open or not on apple so so from that point of view you know it's still fairly it's still mainly real time anyway yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and as, as more of the broader statement that you made that, that the real time or last minute change of the content is not at all the only game in town when you've gained the capability to manipulate that, that significant piece of email content. And yet it's the moniker, it's the sector label we've hung on ourselves. Yeah, because that was the unique thing, wasn't it? When when various people started coming out with these technologies, it was the thing which grabbed people's attention. You know, countdown timers, the ability to, you know, create these maps or weather forecasts yep. based on, you know, which used to be based on IP address, which is no longer really possible either. And yeah, it, it, everybody sat up and paid attention. But when we drilled down to where all the real value is, it's things like it's around the automation piece. So a client doesn't have to manually sit there and code that content. It's automatically produced for them, which then means you can have infinite versions of that content, which means that you save so much time. And we have a, we have a client where they send a, an email every single day with their TV listings in, they don't touch it. It's automatically nice. Nice. Wow. produced for them. And it does have some real time elements in there as well in terms of, you know, working out the hour of the day they're in currently to highlight things, but, but you know, that's saving three, three graphic designer days a week. Wow. So. It's, it's significant. That, that's, that's one area, but then the real value is how do I get some of these complex personalization projects done when I've got an ESP, which doesn't really have user-friendly personalization tools. I would need to sort of have a coder involved, you know, from the IIT team, which kind of isn't really available for most people because they're all going to come back and say, yeah, yeah, you can have that resource for a week in three months time. So it's also about giving marketers, I think, 
control over that, that personalization and breaking it down into a project they can manage yeah. and not have to go for the extra resource. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which, which yeah. An increasingly expensive resource. You know, this, this just, just occurred to me, but perhaps it's a, a fair, fair comparison. Web websites, because they're delivered when a page is opened and because there's a, there's a legit language that runs in, in the browser. Websites in theory would be a lot easier to personalize than email. And there are many, many web delivered vehicles, LinkedIn, Facebook are obviously examples that are personalized to the nth degree. But interestingly, I guess most websites aren't personalized in to any particular level. Would you agree? Yeah, I'd, I would, yes, yes, I, I, I would agree to it nine times out of 10. Where I'm running, where I'm running with that thought that just occurred to me, because, you know, same, same is true of email personalization and email. Let's leave dear Sean, dear Matthew out of the mix. That's not really personalization anymore. Most email messages, personalization, light or not at all, because, and I'm back to your thought about the developer. Because it's a, it's actually a very complicated thing to pull off website or email, like impactful personalization requires such a degree of control of data and, and such a degree of complexity in the delivery platform that at the moment, at least it's still kind of a developer level job. Yes. But also I think because there isn't a, a huge history of marketers managing that. Yeah. They don't have the experience. And if you haven't done something before, it's really difficult. Yeah. No. Yeah. So I don't find it difficult because I've done it a lot. Right. So, so it's like, yeah. I've learned that skill now. I've, I've got a lot of experience. So, so I think even the, the understanding of all of the hoops you have to jump through. Yeah. It, it, it's a big switch off because, you know, where, where do you kind of start? So, so I think that's an issue. And I think certainly in, again, in the email space, the existing tools that the marketers rely on. Mm-hmm. They haven't really tackled personalization in a, in a user-friendly way. It, it's, it's, it's a tick of the box that, yes, you can connect to a feed or you can create dynamic content rules, but you know you might even have a user-friendly interface for that, but that's not scalable. Yeah. Some of them will have glorious AI solutions, which are usually fairly generic and you can't and it, tailor to your needs. And, and again, you have, they have, if the data house isn't in order yeah it's hard right and and by saying data house in order we're saying like that's a really really big statement which data about whom oh well we've got their email address and maybe their first name and maybe that's accurate like what else do you have uh not a yeah. lot right not a lot because ESPs don't really have a lot of places most of the time just to put content and if they do have somewhere then to marry it up with rules yes it's content x to customer y yeah yeah uh, and what are the rules behind that it's quite quite limited so yeah it's it's, it's a hard job it, it is a hard job but that's 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 why our again we call it real-time email solutions it's one of the reasons they exist they solve a lot of those complexity issues you know it's challenging for us sometimes because that customer often has the expectation that the asp should be able to do everything yeah. And I think increasingly they're, they're sort of finding that that's not really the case. Yeah. And you now got not just the likes of ourselves, but you've got other people in the sort of the 
ecosystem of the email marketing world, which have sprung up because email marketing vendors can't, can't do everything. Well, not that they call themselves email marketing, more they're there multi-channel or omni-channel in cloud yeah yeah, yeah well those those sort of things <laughs> yeah, yeah you know and i mean a lot of them don't even send their own email <laughs> I mean, right that's yeah it's just the crazy thing so so you've got deliverability platforms you've got content rendering platforms you've got standalone email editing and content management systems so you i know you interviewed elliot from from taxis a prime example you know that's sprung up because esps don't do a good enough job themselves at creation of the email I literally, just adding on to that, literally, this was, I rarely have uh, two conversations for this podcast series back to back, but 7 a.m. my time this morning, I had Roland Pekornik from Chameleon on as a guest. So like I talked to him an hour before I talked to you and that's a la taxi Chameleon is, let us make the uh, collaborative work involved in the design of email messages better, easier, faster. Why? Because because the editor built into the ESP may not be doing that job to the level you want, or otherwise they wouldn't have a market. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then it's, you've also got now this whole range of CDPs or customer data platforms. Yeah. Yeah. Which has sprung up, which really blurred the lines between <laughs> you know, who is an ESP, who yeah. is CDP, but CDPs themselves are so varied. I mean, yep. you've got something like segment.com, yep. which is, I guess, to explain to marketers, it's probably closer, closer to Google Analytics in terms of his tag management system in a sense. First and foremost, it's probably how people would sort of almost recognize, mm -hmm. recognize it. Mm -hmm. And then you've got so many other guys, which are much nearer, like an old CRM or single customer view platform where, you know, so, so there's a real mix of things out there, which, because the email channel has sort of evolved, I guess, in terms of it's matured. And, and the, and the, 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 you know, the, the person at the other end of the message has evolved in terms of the you know, attention they've got, the channels that are hitting them, the expectations that, that, you know, that they've got. I mean, the funny thing is, I'm not sure, I'm back to your statement about email marketers not really having personalization, deep personalization is sort of a habit, if you will, or a, a recognized core uh, pillar of the practice. I, I posed this question on the only, only influencers list you mentioned maybe a year ago. I said, essentially, what is personalization? Is yeah. there an actual in-depth accepted model that says this is personalization? I got zero, zero response, not a single answer. And that's probably the top collection of email marketers you could get. Yeah. And we don't even know it, what personalization is. No, no. And, and, and I think this is the problem is there's sometimes this tick box mentality around, we need to do more personalization. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll do that token gesture and tick the box, yeah. but it doesn't move the wheel if you do it in a certain way, not certainly not, not to the extent that you need the amount of effort it takes. Yeah. So we, we've always thought about throwing around the term individualization, but I think there's enough terms out there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to create another, <laughs> that someone, someone else will, will get the wrong idea from anyway. Yeah. Um, because I've already seen other people use that term and yeah. it's, yeah. it's not, it's, it's just, it's just as long. <laughs> yeah. So, so I would say this, there's a hierarchy in there. There's personalization, which is dear first name or, or merging data into an email. There's, there's, there's that level that's going to get you kind of this far and it's, but it's fairly low effort. Yep. Then I guess you've got, you could, you could count. This is debate I've had on with 
it could be one OI is segmentation could be argued as personalization, yeah. but you know, you, but you're, you're limited to how many versions can you create, you know, usually a handful because you're manually doing these things similar to then dynamic content rules, where you will maybe tailor different sections of the email. So if this happens, show this, otherwise show this, again, you've got to write those rules. So it's only going to be as personalized as, as many rules you can write and maintain. Mm. Then you've got, you're into the world of algorithms and, and things where you are, you are getting to the point of individualization. And, and yeah. this is the bit where there's probably a lot of stuff happening at the moment. Yeah. But as you touched on with AI, it's, it's, it's only as good as the, the data behind it yeah. and the algorithm. Yeah. And there's a lot of functionality that's perhaps been produced, not just in personalizing the content of the email, but in predicting the best time to send an email, predicting which customers are going to churn those sort of AI solutions where you kind of get the feeling that how it's come about is a developer at the marketing cloud provider, should we say, it's giving yes. their, their newfound term. Yes. It's probably played around with one of the off the shelf uh, tools from Amazon web services or, or so on. And they've ge generated this, this generic sort of AI model, which is just a, a pre-programmed algorithm, which can take your data and everybody's going to get it spat out in the same way to come with the same results. And, and it's promoted as being bleeding edge or whatever term you might want to call it, but it's, it's not proven tech and it's, it's not tailored to you as your business. So every business is going to use that technology, whether you're say an airline discount retailer or a luxury goods company, you're using the same algorithm. How can that possibly get you the optimum sort of yeah. personalization to the, to the yeah. customer? Yeah. So there's, and there's if, a, yeah. And if we don't have a good, if we don't have a solid definition of personalization, the old axiom, you can't, you can't manage what you don't measure. If we don't have a structure for that, that we can measure, then how the heck do we measure the impact of the thing? So we're sort of back to, you know, it seems promising. Let's try it. Oh, gee, that helped a little, but there's no real accepted. If you do this, you'll have X percent different results. I'll give you one example. I'd be curious about your reaction to this. I've booked stuff through Airbnb more than a few times, although not in the last two years very much. Thank you, COVID. But planning a trip for the summer, I went on Airbnb and did just a little bit of a, gee, I wonder if we could get a place in this small town up in the, the tip of Washington. Two, three days later, I get a really nice looking email from Airbnb. I'm like, hey, looks like you're looking at Republic Washington. Yeah. Very, very, very personalized. Like not only was it to me, my inbox, my name, that town, that time. Why? Because they had the date. Yeah. Right. And you know, I showed clear intent by browsing that city. Obviously they bothered to connect the dots, record the browse or the potential booking activity, push it back over to the email system. I mean, big company, very good at their top at their game. That's not a trivial amount of work. And I'm guessing they wouldn't do it if it didn't help them move the dial. All right. Did it remind me? Oh, yeah, I didn't book that trip. Sure. Useful. Yeah. But man, that's an exception. Uh, yeah. I, I, I think it's, I think it's a quite a common one, the remarketing piece. Yeah. Uh, is where, where personal, 
station at that level is using a lot of cart abandonment stuff. Cart abandonment, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a few problems with that though. A lot of people won't measure it correctly. So a lot, you may well have gone back and booked directly anyway, even yeah. if you didn't get that email. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And a lot of the providers out, there's the specialist cart abandonment providers out there nowadays, which charge you a, charge you a commission for that sort of email service. That's so they'll go to do it all for you. Yeah. And they'll say anybody which in your case made a booking on the back of that, having after received the email, we're going to count 100% of that revenue because right. we generated that. Right. So therefore you might pay say five to 7% commission on that. On, on a, I don't know, a standard retail site, you might expect a cart, cart abandonment, natural return rate of people which abandon the cart, but they come back and buy later. Let's say it's 14%. If you send the emails, you might get 16%. Return rate, you know, the, yeah, a classic series of three emails spread over a few days. If you say the sixteen percent is your real revenue, that's a complete lie. You know, if you're using your click-through funnels or, or just a just a match on who, who's got that email, it's in reality it's that two percent. So while those emails are great, so they're often measured on, but also they don't generate that much scale. You know, some of the numbers you see banded around by people on them, perhaps not incremental, should we say? And this is where a lot of people, I think, get personalization wrong. Is they look at those sort of easy to use, sort of e easy journeys to sort of put them in, like abandonment, browse abandonment, that sort of thing. Maybe next purchase, but there's not much scale in those. You know, the the key thing is, what about the 99.9% .9 of the emails that you send? The business is usually emails you like. How can you scale those? Yeah, yeah. Uh, with personalization, that's where the money is. That's where the money you know, is. There you, you go. If you make a if you make a 10% increase there. That's going to blow away every sort of trigger that you can you can probably yeah. do yeah. in yeah. terms of what incrementally delivers. It's also it's worth making a side observation that card abandonment messages also have a root assumption that the customer is stupid. Yep, <laughs> I did leave it there. You're absolutely right. I chose to leave it there. I didn't need you to tell me I left it there. Thanks. Might piss off. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, we're not going to Republic Washington. Don't bother me. Right. And so <laughs> exactly that. And you know, the, I, I, I just think that actually, if you just sent any email at that point with your logo, yeah, which, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, if you look at most businesses, usually emails, you look at where the, a lot of the click throughs happen, logo top left, the nav bar that you put in, yeah. it's because you know, and uh, Delaquist was this the one which really went on a lot about about this. But it's it's true. You don't even have to open the email to be influenced by it and be yeah, reminded. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. You're right. So, so how much of how much of it is really the content you put in that cart recovery email, and how much of it is actually just because they saw your brand in the inbox in the first place? Right. As well as, of course, then likely to come back in the first place. Yeah, I get, I get, I get more non-linear about it. I'm thinking, hmm, and I'm not picking on Airbnb. I'm just using it as a, as a proxy for this whole set of issues at the moment. But if data come back with parks, hikes, bike trails, whatever in that area, as opposed yeah. to the really linear, you looked at this and we want you to book it, that, that might've helped me make a decision that I obviously didn't make when I was looking at the cart, so to speak. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's a tough, complex and very ironically immature terrain for marketing. Like the, the, the content that actually moves people to act seems to be the last priority on the list. 
you throw technology at everything except the content in a lot of ways. Yeah. And there's one other big barrier to personalization for in email marketing is email marketing is generally used as a push mechanism to support the company's short-term goals. In reality, it's we have a promotion, we need to push it. And sales. Yeah, and but that becomes a barrier because actually that's not customer centric content you're you're putting out there. Yeah. So you're you you as a marketer have that first hurdle to overcome. How do you how do you do personalization when you know you can't you're not in control of the content going out in the first place? Right, right. You know, and everybody's after big numbers of, of to send something to because big numbers means you know more re- revenue is a theory, isn't it? But we all know that actually it's only a small percentage of your list which is going to going to respond to that particular yeah. offer. And and you'd know in advance, you could work out who's the most likely to respond to this offer on say camping equipment, you know, well, this segment of customers, which we know have an interest in camping equipment or, or this segment of customers should look like the customers we have, which buy camping equipment, if that makes sense. So yeah, that, that's, it's another area that, that hurdle they have to overcome. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the, the the complexity of making an email message render display you know look look good at all it is is such a source of friction in that chain of decisions we end up back at where i think you were starting about some of the production efficiencies and and flow efficiencies that the so-called real-time sector bring into the email marketing game that are really possible with the editor html the conventional tool set if you will yeah or or there's there's things they are possible but they take a long time right and they take they take another person they take a coder yeah. and the more people you add into that chain you're exponentially increasing the amount of time it takes to create test sign off an email just the communication string gets so long yeah yeah what is what I, I read somewhere, and maybe you'll have a bit more accurate data about this, but it, it's something like average of two weeks, the cycle, the cycle of how, how long it takes to say, we're going to send marketing email X before it goes out the door. It's not done the, the no. day of. It's frequently planned out way in advance, reviewed, signed off, revised, you know, lots of cooks in the kitchen, lots of inputs, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, yeah, and, and it's why emails are often sent at 5 p.m. Because it's got to be sent then, otherwise I'm leaving the office. It's not going to get sent. Yeah. You know, it's just, when I was, you know, in the email vendor world, you know, yeah. we, we had a managed services team and, you know, the poor person whose client they were looking after on Friday afternoon, yeah. 6 PM, and they're still in the office because they're waiting for that, that final sign off. Yeah. And then of course the client signs it off. There's some sort of error in there, not necessarily something we've introduced, but some content which isn't quite right, matched to the website. Monday morning, you get that phone call. Well, that went out wrong. Well, you know, yeah, that's yeah. the sort of impact that those sort of processes have. Yeah, yeah. Um, stressful for everybody. Stressful for everybody. Now, I, 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 I've got to, I've got to tell a tale and, and compliment the company you already mentioned, Big Dog in the real time space, Movable uh, Inc. I, I went down a couple of years ago to a roadshow event that Message Gears, Message Gears was making a tour, sort of introducing himself to the world. And they they worked closely with a movable link. And they had a speaker come in from the email group at the outdoor re- retailer REI, who happens to be based in Seattle, south of me here. 
And the REI guy had this rave tale to tell about the REI Daily Deals email after they brought real-time content into the mix. It's like, the, instead of someone being stuck with, you're on the hook for Tuesday's Daily Deals, you're going to be here till midnight dealing with the last-minute changes in the, in the send, et cetera, et cetera. He said, we all got to go home. At the yeah. end of the day, when we when we brought real time content to bear on that constant set of decisions that have to go out the door in a daily deals email, I was very encouraged by his story, even though he's talking about a different company. Like this could work, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, no, indeed. You know, I think we see that as well. I mean, yeah. talked about the the TV shopping channel with their TV guy. Right, the TV they don't, guy. Now they don't touch it. No, but they found they found plenty of other things to get busy with, so they're still stressed out. In terms of, <laughs> yeah, yeah. because you, you're not busy on that anymore. So here's, here's a load more tasks that we can, we can sort of leave with you. But I'll tell you the, 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 camp, the campaign genius story in that same, uh, in that same domain, we have a, we have a customer who's a custom home builder. So with, when they send out an email, they're not, they're not hoping to sell, you know, yeah. bananas or, or a television. They're talking about million dollar homes, but especially with the housing market in the U S right now, that's. That they may be gone. They're probably gone. So they really want their email content to be inventory accurate. Mm -hmm. So what we what we do for them is we actually pull the live inventory and pricing and availability from their website at the moment of open so that the email that customers get are houses they could buy. Yeah. Yeah. And like, okay, that seems like a good thing. Even one sale and and I think they're probably doing just fine in terms of in terms of the cost of the technology. Yeah, I think so. And I think another example would be things like if you normally the way a marketer would pick products for an email, yeah, is they would kind of look. Well, let's make sure nothing in here is got, it's got plenty of stock behind it and stand out. But but that means you end up with this fragmented stock. Yeah, a particular sale environment. So I go back to the footwear retailer where, you know, you'd have one or two sizes left and you yeah. would put them in an email because not everybody's got in that size. So you'd look at the conversion rates in Google Analytics with the sale email and it'd be like 0.2% <laughs> from click to conversion because people would click through and go, oh, it's only in size four yeah. uh, left. But if you can use this type of technology with some rules behind it as well to say, only show if it's in stock in that customer's size, all of a sudden you've opened up all this extra stock you can't get rid of otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. You know, out to the market. And it's more effective because it's more relevant to each each individual. Each individual. Yeah. No, that's so you, that's a really good example, actually. And yeah. God forbid they cross reference my past, you know, jacket and shirt purchases and go, probably got big feet. Let's hit <laughs> <laughs> let's hit him <laughs> with this particular boot sale. Why? Because we got a lot of size twelves on the shelf. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that. That may be somewhere in the personalization model foot size, right? Somewhere down, down yeah, but, the complex model. But, but it's, it's a it's a common thing, isn't it? We, we also have this term called uh, underserved segments. Yeah. So a, a classic one, maybe in travel, that might be people which travel on their own, or yeah. in retail, it would be people with big or small sizes. Mm -hmm. yeah. They're worth quite a lot per customer, but there's yeah. not many of them usually. So. As an email marketer, you focus on Mr. Average generally, don't you? Where, where most of most of the money is. But if you can start creating emails which don't take you any effort at all, you know, it's a standard template. Maybe best you change the subject line, you change the hero. Yeah. 
but you've got a system which automatically pulls through the content for that email. You don't have to touch. You can start increasing the revenue you're getting from those valuable but small segments quite, yeah. quite easily. So there's, there's that sort of option as well. And, and this is why I say real-time is such a bad, bad term sometimes. But yeah, it's those personalization. I'm so, sorry to cut you off, Sean, but you just said something super insightful and I'm trying to figure out how to capture it in my head. It, it, what we think of as personalization, like this guy, this guy, this guy may have more business impact when it's, when it's, when it's identifying the, not the segments, that's not quite the right word for it. You know, the, 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 the cases of value, there may be one, there may be 20, there may be 500 of them, like your solo traveler example and tailoring what's said very much to what makes them different, what makes them special, unusual, you know, a particularly good customer for some aspect of your business. And it has very little to do with what their first name is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And, and I think that's also part, part of the problem with personalization projects is marketers don't necessarily have the imagination that those things can be done. True. True. And, and I think that's to do it. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, because they haven't done it before, they don't. They don't know it can be done. Yeah, marketers often do the things they they know they they can do already. They've done it in the past, and I think where we find it's much easier to get business on board with personalization is you sort of turn it round, and you start with the business problem, and then personalization just happens to be the means of solving that problem. Gotcha. So again, in travel, that's things like: do you have a problem with late availability? You know, the, the properties you can't sell. Yeah. Yes, we do. Well, let's create late availability content automatically that sits in every email, which is going to help you nice. sell through some of those properties you otherwise would. Yeah, yeah. You know, in, in retail, it might be the sale model. You have lots of fragmented stock. What, whatever the, the problems are, usually personalization and email can, can solve those. And again, the danger of starting real-time content is it's, you're starting with a feature. It, it's not solving any, any problems specifically for the people. Yeah, I think that's where where another reason I hate that term. <laughs> I do, I do, I do too. I mean, especially since, especially since Apple threw that what's your term spanner. It, yeah, in 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 the cognitive spokes. Although I I appreciate Apple taking on the performance caching job for us. Like, thanks guys, you took a load off, <laughs> you took a load off our cloud. And, made things really snappy, but eh, whatever. Yeah. It's, it's, it's going to be a while. It's going to be a while till we see increasing adoption. I, I am of real time or whatever the label is we, we come up with as a substitute. I am encouraged to see the, the company that's done this for a long time and, and, and sort of, and has the, I think the biggest market share movable on a heck of a healthy course. They got to ring the, ring the bell at, at NASDAQ a few weeks back and, and celebrate it. I think they've darn near doubled revenue in less than five years. So yeah, like giddy up good for them for the 99% of the market that says can afford that. Maybe they'll start talking to reignite or maybe in the campaign genius. But, but I think there's also something that going back to the, the value is again, real time content just doesn't, you talk to somebody and say, even if it's $50 a month fee, if it's not delivering any added value. And it just seems an additional hassle that they have to deal with. Then yep. it doesn't go anywhere. So you can't just be, you can't just be 
more cost effective, should we say, than than our friends at Moverlink. Yeah, um, no, it should not. Yeah, we, yeah this, that's not a reason to do it. You're absolutely right. Yeah, you're yeah. absolutely right. And 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 the kind of true automation. You know, I'm, I'm fascinated by your TV guide description, like that that true automation of the end content. That's that's a heck of a value proposition. The fact they don't have to worry about that schedule. It's a big deal. Yeah, yeah. Um, big deal. It it is. They just have to remember to fill it in, which on occasions they they have forgotten <laughs> to, which which you know means it doesn't appear anywhere, but on their website even. So yeah, but yeah, it, it's 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 about thinking different because everybody every market is brought up in the concept how we do email is we have this blank email and we have to fill it in manually each time. But th this is what the textbook says for us to do. <laughs> this um, is the habit we've got. This is how our ESP works. Yeah. The big piece of it too. Yeah. And this is, this is what I've done previously in my last few jobs. And you tend to see that a lot of email marketers will bring the same tactics to, to each job they go to every two to three years. Yeah. And, you know, I think, I think certainly in my career, I've always tried to take that step back and, and really not be influenced by what I've done before. I mean, I use that as a reference, but you have to really get into the nuts and bolts of what, what is the specific problem that we have as a, as a business that we're trying to solve. I don't think those, those template approach is really very effective. Again, they can look like they, they do because the, the thing which really gets, gets my back up quite a lot <laughs> is, is it comes about attribution, you know, and people claiming yeah. X millions of revenue yeah. and they, you know, there's a lot of in the D to C space, as a direct consumer, there's a lot of people who use a certain ESP who has a certain attribution model, which we say is, I wouldn't necessarily suggest is that robust, which is anybody who has opened this email, which goes on to buy within the next seven days, we cannot order. And that's used across cart abandonment, welcome emails, next purchase emails, all those emails, which those customers if you didn't send them an email, they could perform massively well anyway. And I think a lot of people do get carried away by some of the headlines they see on those and they take those simplistic strategies across yeah. and don't really understand that, you know, it's not really delivering incremental benefit for the business. And I'm starting to see some of that now with MPP. Some people, some clients I speak with, they go, oh, look at our open rates. They're amazing. Now, now, now it's rolled out across so many places and they haven't yet got to the point where they're sort of. They sort of know why, but they're not telling anybody further up the chain. Right, so. because it's in their interest. Like, shit. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so, um, yeah. Um, there's going to be a point where you're going to have to, you're going to have to, you know, say, hang on a minute. You know, why has Open's gone up, but Clicks hasn't? Well, you know, um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, well, while they can, they're, they're using it as a good news story, and yeah, it's, it's in no one's interest long term for that. For that to be the case, yeah, no, I I'd agree with that. I had a, I had a a guest on this show a few weeks back, Pierre Lipton from fourteen forty Media. Not an email marketing in, in in his case, the company is in the journalism business. Fourteen forty is a daily by e via email news source. And when we were uh, chatting, Pierre and I were chatting about MPP. I think after we stopped the recording. He noted that the concern 
that a publisher like 1440 has with the breaking of the feedback loop induced by MPP is that over time, he's going to lose track of who's actually reading, like the, the engaged subscriber, which is, a, that's a measure of value for a publisher, right? It's like, yeah, I don't actually, I'm going to have a hard time knowing. I said, huh, I, we're, I actually think we'll be able to help them with it. I think there's ways to answer that in the cloud of data that you get, but it's not going to be a trivial, not going to be a trivial exercise. No. And I think part of the frustration with MPP is what I thought might happen has happened is, is the ESPs perhaps haven't stepped up their game oh, they, on their side of the bargain. They've punted completely, sorry, American term, punted, right? Like, come on, most of yeah. it, uh, either nothing or, or damage with a, with a blood measure. Oh, just leave them out. Oh, bad decision. Mathematically. Yeah. And, and I have some sympathy, the fact that it was, it, I think it was quite difficult to have a strong prediction during that beta period of how is this really going to be implemented? But I think we've had long enough now to sort of say, well, you really should have got something in action better to, to sort of, to, to, to help with this. I mean, I, I know ESPs, which, you know, they, they report out what email clients are and, and it's still down as unknown. You know, which, which is horrendous for, for Apple iOS 15. But yeah, I just think that they should have done more in terms of what's your real estimated open rate. To, to be, to be fair and, and very, very inside baseball, that an accurate answer is extraordinarily Ricky. We've done it. I've got the patent filings, but I gotta say, wow. This, this, this is hard. This is a hard problem to, to, to solve even adequately. So yeah, in, in the ones that have done nothing in a, in a funny sense, they may, they may, you know, throwing up your hands and saying, don't look at open rates, which seems to be the, yeah. the kind of prevailing email marketing mindset. I, you know, I, 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 I think it's, I think it's a unwise overall because you, that's, it is a different signal, right? Then the, I clicked the website, the, I read your cotton picking message or, you know, people read this message more than that message. That is a different signal. And it's not any, it's not a, a non-valuable piece of feedback, even yeah. though it's less accurate. It was already inaccurate. Now it's even less accurate. That doesn't mean it's the value is zero. No, but I, I still think that's a level of accuracy you could get to knowing that a lot of these opens happen late on yeah. in the day. Yeah long after the email has been sent, all of the, these, these aren't small companies we're talking about here. We're talking billion dollar companies. And I, I think it's, it's sometimes a symptom of companies, which maybe been acquired the ESP and, <laughs> and it may be in a more, you know, so, some of those are better than others. Should we say in terms of innovating? Yeah. But, uh, but I think, yeah, the general shrug and have a go. And even if you don't get it right, at least have a go. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think the general attitude of, of not helping and it's the one place it really needs to be is in the ESP dashboard because yes, Agreed. Agreed. like yourself, you can, you can create solutions outside of it and things, but it belongs, it belongs, belongs in with the other math. Yeah. Yeah. And, and on, a, on the consultant side of our business, we're, we're, we're doing something with a, a very big ESP, which actually allows us to write extra data to the tables. We're going to. We're going to flag which ones we think are definite false opens and which ones we think are possible, you know, 
good open stuff because it gives us a level of, it's not perfect. It wasn't perfect before anyway, but in terms of when it comes to has this customer opened an email in the last three months, yeah, it gives us a bit better of a handle yeah. because, you know, was it 60, 70% of your audience won't have opened an email? If you've got your best, best way of handling a lot of deliverability issues is getting rid of the, the inactives and stuff. Yeah. I, I don't know. They've that's why I just feel that the lack of support from ESPs has been disappointing, but not unsurprising. Yeah. Well, Hey, listen, if you got, if you run into ESPs who don't want to tackle this problem, but, but do want to solve it, like tell them to call us. Cause we're actually in conversations. Yeah. We were conversations with a couple of ESPs about helping them, uh, about helping them do that with that, just that one narrow, you know, one narrow aspect of the data. I also think the reason it's been difficult for the ESPN platform, the vendors in the email space to grapple with this is, is developer and specifically data talent is such a, such a precious commodity at this particular moment, like your dev staff is a hundred percent busy already guaranteed before Apple made that announcement, they were already booked out for years to come. And you were trying to hang on to them and not lose them to someone who was going to pay them twice as much. So throwing, throwing a very complex problem on their plate. Yeah. It's tough to add to the stack. Maybe about a lot, you know, developers like complex problems, don't they? Yeah. I think. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Some do the good ones do, I suppose. Um, yeah. there's others which just want to work nine to five. I, I get that. That's the same in any profession, I suppose, but it's also the, also the ability to move things around in, in your development schedule as well. I just saw so many of the webinars from ESPs saying, this is what you need to do marketer with MPP. Yeah. And it just seemed very little about how we're going to help you. Um, this is your problem. We're not necessarily sharing that enough, you know, so maybe I'm being a bit harsh. But yeah, and, and, you know, it, I guess it gives you a great opportunity because you've solved the problem. So, well, we, we, yeah, we, 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 you know, we've got, we've got a, we've got a solution to, to the level of what I th think are useful and reliably useful insights. It's not the same measure we're getting before, but you know, we, we took a different, not to delve into that too much, but we, we took a political polling approach to the open rate problem rather than yep. a straight math approach because straight math doesn't work with, with false, with, with, with a falsified, a flood of falsified, potentially falsified signals. But yeah, it, it, it was, it was, it, it was interesting. And my God, back to what you said about AWS and so on, if the cloud compute ecosystems weren't at the level of maturity they are now. It would have been a complete impossibility because the data crunching is a freaking nightmare. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's yeah. just abysmal. Like just ingesting that, right? You know, when a campaign yeah. is going a million opens or 5 million one weekend, just, just being able to ingest it and not lose stuff for starters was hard. And then why, you know, watching SQL boxes sort of blow smoke for four or five minutes on a single query. I'm like, I don't think we can get there. Yeah. I mean, the, get there this way. <laughs> the, the, I imagine that the cost to put that infrastructure in the old way would have been, I mean, Lit Litmus is a really good example. They, they only exist as a business doing what they do because of AWS. 
I don't know if you remember the olden days when you only had a couple of options. I think it was Pivotal Veracity and Turn Path doing those rendering yeah. of different email clients. And uh, Paul, who's, who's from Farnell, he's, he's not, not far from where I, I grew up. He, he invented the solution on a couple of old PCs, but for him to scale to the required level, yeah. you know, it yeah. would have, there's no way he, he would have done that. That's why Pivotal Veracity and Turn Path, they were, they were so expensive that even us as an ESP, we couldn't afford to use them. Um, and then all of a sudden, oh, hang on, AWS, they were able to scale up all these virtual machines, running all these different things. Yeah. You know, they didn't have capacity issues. They didn't have to build up here in order to cater, you know, even most of the time they'd be down here. And I think that's having a lot in the email space. Solutions that are so much more accessible now at, at price point, like ourselves, like those guys, like, like actually a lot of email sending services, it, it, it's become a lot more cost effective because of the cloud. And that, that's been, I think, a huge transformation in the last 10 years. Well, as you know, a startup like Reignite, go, go 10 years, ballpark 10 years back, you would have needed a VC and five to $8 million in data center build up, and then you could start actually doing the work. And now you take out a MasterCard <laughs> and start reading the AWS documentation, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Instead. Yeah, I mean, AWS isn't always cheap. If you if you do it wrong, you can have some access. Uh, yeah, if you say that could be an um, expensive hobby. Oh, God. yeah. So make sure you set up those alerts. But um, <laughs> yeah, and, and it would have also been a lot of hassle. It, it was the it was the time. I mean, back in our ESP days, email centers, we you know, we had all our own servers, and sure. I, I think that's still probably the case. I mean, they bought by another company now, but you know, we had scaling issues, both bandwidth and 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 servers. But it it, it was the fact that they had to be micromanaged almost along the way yeah. and you're right those those big boxes we, we had to cater for this when actually most of the time we're doing this but the amount of times that someone would be having to go down the data center someone would be up at night just Page upgrading two. servers yeah i know the guy and he <laughs> i don't know how he survived it was so stressful like uh, quick i knew cloud computing was going to happen story i was uh, ceo of a venture funded spin out 2004 2006. Unfortunately, the technology was a decade ahead of the market. It was, it was a music identification and relationship stack, meaning find me a song like this. And, and it actually algorithmically found you a song like that, which is a lot of complexity to the, to the tech stack, but we ended up cutting a deal with a, with a good sized record label. And all of a sudden we had a couple hundred thousand songs that needed to go through the algorithmic analysis, which was about as long as it would take to play the song, full CPU to analyze the song. Three minute song, I need three minutes of a desktop CPU to analyze it. So like multiply that by 200,000 and go, oh crap, yeah. what are we gonna do? And by sheer luck, I was you know, keeping the feelers out and I read about these, these goofballs at Amazon that had virtual, who were making virtual compute instances available. It's just like very, barely baby steps of AWS. And I went, oh crap, guys, instead of buying tens and tens of thousands of dollars worth of Dell servers yeah. in rent this capability for CPU crunching and analysis from Amazon and we by God did it in 05. But bandwidth was so scarce then that uploading that flipping catalog of 200 yeah. songs securely because it's crown jewels for the recording company. <laughs> yeah. That was the bottleneck. Like 
the guy was babysitting the the internet pipe instead of the server, but it was still a lot less expensive. No. Amazon used to, didn't they used to accept you post in a, a, a USB stick? We were so early, they didn't have yeah. it yet. Yeah, it, it, because I think it's a case in South Africa where somebody for a laugh, they, because their bandwidth was so poor, Yeah, I think they, they sent it in by a carrier pigeon or something. Well, I mean, now you're just uploading it. They'll, they'll, they'll send a freaking semi now if you have enough data to transfer. Yeah. Amazon has a semi service. We will send a semi to the park yeah. at the corner and plug into your data center and transfer all your stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's, it's incredible how, how the world has changed. But I yeah. think possibly it's also slightly scary that, that we're now so much more dependent on three or four companies for our entire internet infrastructure. And we, we do notice that if, if Amazon goes down, yeah. which it has done on a few occasions, the internet does as well. Yeah. If the internet uh, does as well, AWS, we're, we're Google cloud mostly, which is a choice I'm happy with after a good number of years still, but same, same reliability problem, right? They went, uh, G GCP had an issue a few months back and, and I was like, oh, crap. Yeah. And I could like, literally, you can't do anything. It's no. an earthquake. It's an earthquake, technologically speaking. All you can do is duck and cover. Yeah. And, and, but I think the nice thing is you're sharing that problem with so many other people. And from a, from a client perspective, it in, in our, again, the ESP days, if our servers went down for some reason, because the data center went down, yeah. um, they wouldn't notice anybody else had gone down because very few people had gone down in the world. Yeah. yeah. So it's purely your problem. But in this new world where, oh, AWS has gone down. People are much more understanding about that sort of thing because probably their website's gone down as well. And I do find myself wondering, I'm a skeptic on a, I'm a skeptic on a bunch of sort of intellectual historical levels, but with, with the current buzz around cyber currencies, <laughs> I'm waiting for someone to go, oh, what do you mean? I can't get to my money. Oh crap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, well there's, there's, there's plenty of times there's evidence of people which have forgotten the key. Oh yeah. And, yeah. In, and they, in the, in the, you know, trolling the city dump for the missing hard drive, that kind of stuff. Yeah. The, the, those sort of things. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, it's off topic, but that uh, I, you know, I think, you know, certainly I know the bank of England is, is looking at cryptocurrency yeah, based payments same. things now, yeah. uh, not in the sense that you and I know about Bitcoin, but we're, we're in the, our office is in the same place as someone who's working on that technology right now. I mean, I don't understand any of it, but it sounds great. So we're just not. <laughs> so. Honestly, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's, it's an intriguing, it's an intriguing frontier. I, I, I hate to see us warming up the planet just to find mathematical scarcity. Yeah. In fairness, this is what they, they don't do. They don't warm up the planet. Their, their model of, and I don't fully understand. So again, I just nod. Me neither. Me neither. But, <laughs> but, you know, it's an environmentally friendly way of doing things, apparently. So, um, it's not like Bitcoin, which is going to, you know, end up taking the world's electricity many times over. Yeah. That's not going to work. That's not going to work. Well, I know we'd wander a field. I should probably free you up to, you know, to go help people solve real-time content problems, but I knew this would be awfully fun to touch on. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Yeah. Good to catch up finally. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're listening, you go, what are they talking about? The real time and personalization reignite HQ.com is a good place, uh, is a good place to start. And Sean Duffy, CEO of reignite has been a wonderful guest. Sean, thanks for the hour. Yeah, no, thank you. Speak soon, Matthew. All right, man. We're going to hit stop. Where's the cursor? There it is. <laughs>